0: You are about to hear the Parental Dadvisory podcast. Parental Dadvisory contains lots of adult content. You may hear swearing, sex talk, discussions about the challenges of parenting, drink recipes, and more. Parental Dadvisory is real. It's raw and definitely not safe for work. Consider that your f***ing warning. So put up your feet, grab your favorite adult beverage, and behold the glory that is the Parental Advisory Podcast. drinking does not apply to those that are driving. Here's
1: Doug and Jay. Ladies and gentlemen, welcome to the Parental Advisory Podcast. I am your host, Doug Ziegler, with my co-host, Jay Wisniewski. Who do we got here with us tonight, Doug? Oh, we got Sean Hempfling. We're going to... Go through a podcast and talk about uh, things like depression and how you deal with it, and you know, a variety of other parts of how that works. You know, both you and Sean have had public uh, explanations of your journeys through that. You know, I I am mostly going to be a listener here because I am with some questions obviously sprinkled in because I'm not one who has had the misfortune and I'm going to say misfortune in quotes, of uh, having depression or any sort of episodes in that realm. So uh, I'm looking forward to hearing what Sean has to say. He has a lot
0: of input and wisdom on that end, and as as you do, Jay. Yeah, I'm looking forward to it as well, and I'll go ahead and share it with everyone out there. So we had previously recorded an hour-plus-long episode with Sean, but our uh, our service that we used to record decided to lose that audio with no way to get it back. So if we, if, we, if we start joking with each other about something we've already talked about, that's why you're gonna hear that. So hopefully we can get this episode out there and everybody can enjoy it. Absolutely. So, uh, Sean, um, why don't you give us a little bit about who you are and what
2: you do and you know what your message is? Uh, okay. Um, well, I do things. Um, do you drink and do things? I Well, I drink frequently and do things. I've found that alcohol makes most things better. Um, <laughs> no, I, uh, at the moment I'm a professional photographer and a student, uh, getting my second master's degree, uh, this one in social work. Um, I've done some freelance writing and I've written extensively about uh, my own mental health and then, uh, uh, as a mental health advocate, um, and done some volunteering, uh, sitting on suicide prevention task forces and, uh, advisory boards, that kind of thing. Uh, and I found the strength to talk about my my battles with uh, depression, anxiety, and, and binge eating disorder um, starting in about 2014 uh, when I started writing for the Good Men Project and uh, just culminated most recently with my first public speaking appearance um, as a, a speaker for This Is My Brave in their Philadelphia show. And that was that was a powerful experience. Uh, it was inspiring um, because of all the other the the speakers that I shared the stage with. And because two hundred and fifty people came out to to listen to us, uh, it was it was a really, really incredible experience. I, it I find it difficult to put into words. Could you possibly explain what this is my brave to folks
1: that might not be aware
2: of it, please? Sure. Uh, this is my brave is, uh, a charitable organization started in 2012, I believe it is, uh, by Jennifer Marshall and her co-founder who, of course I can't remember her name, but she passed away in 2017, the co-founder, not Jennifer Marshall. Um, Jennifer Marshall's also known as, uh, I, I believe bipolar mom life, uh, was her blog. Uh, And This Is My Brave became a a charitable organization that promotes shows now all over the country and um, in other parts of the world as well, where people can get up and actually speak about their personal experiences with mental illness, whether it's anxiety, binge eating disorder, substance abuse, uh, depression, bipolar disorder. Um, It has been, I think they did their 40, I think Philadelphia was their forty. Fifth show, uh, and they've done a couple in Australia. With uh, certainly more slated um, uh, in other parts of the world as well. Um, and uh, they, of course, they have a speakers bureau now. Uh, after last season, seasons show they shows they they started that, um, and they've they've done some pretty cool things. Uh, Jennifer Marshall herself uh, for. Having helped uh, that this is my brave organization grow has received quite a few uh, mental health advo- advocacy awards this past year, and uh, the more this is my brave grows, the more powerful uh, it becomes. And you can you can catch quite a few of their their speakers on YouTube, of course, their YouTube channel. Uh, but listening to their stories is. Uh, I I still it's been two weeks a week uh, and I still have trouble putting into words how powerful it is to listen to someone get up on stage stand in front of a microphone in front of those hot bright lights with a couple of hundred people watching and talk about their most intimate struggles and their their lowest moments it's it's absolutely incredible. I, I don't know what else to, how else to say it b- besides that. Um, but this is my rave. Um, they do these shows all over the country. Um, Philadelphia has a few more coming up um, where some of my castmates are are going to be producing. Uh, I know there's a few going on in Los Angeles. They've had them in Boston, down in Florida. They've been all over the country. And it's, if you haven't been able to catch a show, it is definitely something that I would make time to see because every single one is different and all of the speakers have something valuable to share.
0: So when it comes to to this is my brave, I you know, I know we uh we all have a few connections. One would be Lauren and and I think in our last conversation you mentioned that he kind of you know spoke with you about it and told you, hey, this is a really good thing. Go ahead and do it. So prior to Lauren reaching out was it was it an organization that you were aware of or was it something that was kind of under your radar at the time
2: I was aware of it um and I I kind of watched it from a distance um I followed them on you know Instagram and Twitter and and Facebook and I I caught a couple of the speeches uh and it was something getting up on stage and and actually talking about um mental health has been something I've wanted to do since I started writing so it was always a goal. Um, but then, you know, you get that voice in your head that says, well, I, I don't belong up there with those people. Um, their, their stores are so much more powerful than mine or their, their struggle was, they had it much worse than me or, um, they have way more going on. And, um, I, I'm just a, a, a small time guy compared to these folks. And, So I had all that going on, and it took Lauren actually pushing me a little bit to to get me to go, because I was already making excuses when I found out that they had auditions for Philadelphia. I live two and a half to three hours away from Philly, and I was already making excuses. Well, it's a long drive, and my truck isn't all that reliable for, for driving that far, and I'm I'm pretty broke. So gas is going to be expensive and geez, I'm awful busy. And I was just finding ways to really excuses to not go so that if I didn't make it into the cast, um, I didn't fail uh, again, because that's one of the things that drives me is this fear of failure. And I, uh, I avoid success because of it, uh, because success always comes with a, this risk of, of failing. And, uh, that's one of the things I've had to change in the past year and a half, two years, is um, taking more and bigger risks. But this was one of those things, I wanted it so badly that uh, if I had failed, I'm not sure how I would have handled it, if, if that makes any sense at all. Yeah, I
1: think that makes a lot of sense. It sounds a lot like uh, something that, they like said I don't deal with depression or anything like that, but I, I do have a very big, heavy case of imposter syndrome. And making excuses to not do things so you don't fail is a very, <laughs> very big element of that. So I, it makes a lot of sense from my perspective.
0: How about you, Jay? Oh, I definitely agree with it. And especially because I have more experience with it. I think that people who deal with this, and even those who don't, you know, some people can just have anxiety and it's not to the level that, that others may experience, but to to have something like that, we tend to do that in our minds, you know, we prime it, you know, my voice isn't as important that the other as the others that are there, and and what I'm going to share might not benefit, you know, so sometimes having somebody like Lauren, or I know, Doug, you and I have had conversations in the past about my own stuff, just having that, that person to kind of nudge you and be like, okay, shut up, your story is important. It's a good thing. Um, And I think something I didn't get to speak on last time we talked about it is, you know, when when you have somebody you're speaking with or speaking to who doesn't have as much experience either personally or academically as like somebody like Sean and I do, you know, a lot of people get caught up in the grind of the big name organizations. And and that's, this isn't me taking anything away from them, you know, but it's the ones you constantly hear about, you know, the ones that people are sharing a status every day about saying, you know, if you want to talk to somebody dial this 800 number. And I think when it comes to mental health, uh, any variance of it at all, it's like many other things in life. There's no one size fits all. So I really enjoy hearing about, um, organizations, like, this is my brave. I hadn't heard of them until Lorne, actually, you know, and, and when he started posting and everything he was going through. And then obviously I heard about Sean doing it. But I think that's a big thing I like to promote with people. So whether whether those big name organizations are helpful to you or whether you stray from them, there, there's tons of resources out there. And, and you don't have to go to a national level. You know, there there's local stuff. There's There's organizations that are geared towards, you know, Uh, the LGBTQ community, specifically, there's stuff for kids, there's stuff for women. Um, So that's something I like to share a lot, just bringing light to organizations like this. So people don't think that it's a one size fits all, you know, option. Yeah, I have to say the thing
1: where, like, for someone like me, who knows that there are folks that suffer from depression and all that stuff, and then you go, all right, well, I'm offering myself here. If you need to talk, just reach out. But there are times where I feel like that's not enough. Like, you know, maybe touching base is great, but maybe that's not enough. So I don't know how you guys feel about that. Is is that something that we should be doing if you're a, an ally? Or is there more that we can do? Or is it is it literally a matter of just touching base as much as possible?
2: It's tricky because it depends a lot on the person and the relationship you, that you have with them. Uh, and your physical proximity. So um, in a lot of cases, you know, we have these uh, Internet relationships where people are uh, hundreds or thousands of miles apart and calling them and saying, hey, I'm coming over and we're going bowling tonight or we're going to go out and hit some golf balls or something. It, it's not a reasonable expectation um, so a check-in may be all that you can do. Uh, on the other hand, if it's somebody who's, you know, 10 minutes away and you call and they say, yeah, no, I'm, I'm fine. I'm just tired. And you know, something is wrong. It's sometimes almost better to, to push a little bit more and, and get us out of the house and, or apartment or cave, um, if you're like me and want to be antisocial and don't really like people, uh, whatever, just to get us out and sort of break the cycle of depression, because it very much is uh, cyclic. You know, we, we get into, I call them thought loops, um, where we, we try to think our way out and because we can't think our way out, we think there's more wrong with us because it's all in my head. Obviously it's all in my head. I have depression. So why can't I just stop? And it just gets worse and worse and worse. And it becomes like a, like a whirlpool. You're just circling the drain. Um, and sometimes having someone not really give you that choice. Hey, we are going out. We are going to a movie or whatever, um, can help interrupt that cycle. Um, but again, it's it's a proximity issue where sometimes that's n- not a possibility. So the most you can do is hope to draw them into a conversation or at least get them to talk about what's going on. Um, Jay, what are your thoughts?
0: Uh, I'd say I'm mostly there with you on that one. So uh, just <laughs> in addition to my anxiety and depression, I, I'm just a natural introvert as it is, which is hilarious because I do things like, uh, write blogs and record podcasts, but you know, like actual face to face contact. Uh, I, I'm just a total introvert. My wife recognizes it. So does my family. Um, so I, I like you brought up, I kind of have that fine line. So if it's somebody that I genuinely enjoy time with, so like if, if Doug were to be in town and not busy with work and something were going on, he's like, we're going out for a beer. That's fine. Um, if it's somebody like I, I'm not as acquainted with, but I consider, like you said, like an internet friend, I'm fine with you reaching out and saying, hey, I've noticed over the last couple of days, maybe you're not posting as much or maybe what you're posting, you just seem down. Um, so, yeah, there's different levels and lines that and boundaries that I specifically have. But I, again, that's not one size fits all for everybody. So you're going to know your friends, your family members better than you know me. So, I mean, when in doubt, reach out, so to speak. Um, One thing I did like Since our last conversation Is you know I saw a lot of awareness Being brought up As much as I hate When people only talk about uh, You know Mental illness Or Or depression Anxiety Bipolar As much as I hate When people The real drive Lately in society Is when it's a celebrity um, But you know Anthony Bourdain When he passed away A lot of people Instead of just posting The 800 numbers You know A lot of people Started saying that You know because they said there's that that old time thought of oh if there's anything wrong feel free to call me 24 seven and again not that there's anything wrong with that but what are we doing as humans to interact with people and not even just people we know who who may be suffering you know just that genuine human connection out there Um, how hard is it to send a text or pick up your phone and call somebody and say hey you know you were on my mind how are things going so that was something that I saw kind of take more of a lead uh, since his passing versus other celebrities. But yeah, for me, um, I'm the same way, you know, get me get me out of the house, get me out of the slump, whatever I'm in at the time. Uh, and then there's other times where where people can actually read me well and see that it's almost too much for me. So like, I know I had uh a time at the last dad 2.0 where I had a day where I was like, I don't want to fucking be around people. I was depressed, I was anxious, and as much as I was having fun, it, it was like I was on both sides of you know the mag the magnet there, north and south. Like I wanted to have fun, but I just wanted to go back to my room and sleep the fucking day away. Um uh, and, and like a lot of people caught on to that. So I think if you do, you know, just do what you can, have those conversations and then, you know, go from there. Cause a lot of times, most of the people like me, or I'm assuming people like you, Sean, well, actually, once we're out of that, you know, situation, we will talk it out. So,
2: yeah, I I think that um, self-awareness has a, has a big role to play there as well. You know, we, uh, we're fortunate uh, that we, talk about it and we, we expose ourselves to other people who talk about it. So we're more self aware, uh, and, and aware of, uh, what's going on in our heads. Um, for a long time, I didn't, I wasn't that guy. So I, I, I didn't associate it with depression. I didn't, um, really make that connection. And so, um, it was, it was more difficult to deal with in in a certain respect because I didn't understand anything that was going on with myself. Um, and it's one of the, I don't mean to circle all the way back to this is my brave, but it's one of the reasons that was so the experience of sharing the stage with those folks was so inspiring was because there were people, you know, a couple of young ladies that were 19, 20 years old who were as self-aware as I am now at 40 Uh, and when I was 19 I mean there wasn't much I cared about other than how I was going to score some beer and whatever else I could get my hands on or trouble I could get into while I was away at school and these people are standing on stage in front of a few hundred people uh, talking about their anxiety and and depression and suicide attempt and uh it really blew me away and it's one of the things that gives me hope for the generation coming up is is that uh their self-awareness is higher so if they understand what's going on in their heads they can help break those cycles a little bit more easily than than you know i was able to when i i had no idea what i was going through and what was going on i just figured I needed to put my head down and and plow through it and hope that it got better um, and not worse, which m- made it worse. Uh, so yeah, it's, uh, because the experience is different for everyone, it, it's, it's really hard to, to put into words what it can be like. I mean, there's generalizations we can draw, um But even those, you'll catch similarities. But no one—they're like fingerprints. No one's experience with anxiety or depression or bipolar disorder is is going to be identical, Um, and that's part of what makes it so difficult to treat as well. Is, you know, everybody's different.
1: Yeah, that's definitely true. But I'd be interested to hear what you guys think about the idea of, um, like, you were talking about two young women who are really self-aware at this is my brave and being able to express their opinions and their beliefs and their feelings and just you know what they're going through but do you think that has anything to do with the idea that as males it's a little harder especially in our generation to be able to speak to your feelings and not feel like you're being ridiculed for it because i'm a bit older than you guys i'm i'll be 47 this year and You know, there there was a lot of uh, just man up and tough it out and quit being a pussy and all that kind of stuff. And, you know, uh,
0: I'm just wondering how that plays into it for you two. Yeah, so, I mean, I think something I'll touch on is something we spoke about last time. So um, I don't think the age difference that you you bring up, Doug, I I, I get what you're saying about, you know, we're we're going towards – Uh, a generation or a timeline where people are more self-aware and are more more willing to talk about things than they were. But I I think that we're still within uh, a generation era, whatever you want to call it, where everybody kind of experienced that. So, you know, back when I was first going, I started in middle school, but like same kind of stuff there, even though I was only a kid, it was one of those man up, you're not supposed to have these feelings when you're crying or suicidal go lock yourself away in the room and that followed me all the way into adulthood so through high school college and then when i was in the military and you know that that's a big no no You, you don't talk to anybody in the military at least at the time that i was in you don't talk about it you man up you drink water you drive on so i mean there was a good what from the age of like 12 until my early to mid 20s that that time frame that that was the mindset i had like I knew that something was wrong, but it was one of those, am I really depressed or am I just different? And I, like, I didn't even try to find resources and it wasn't really until, um, maybe right around when my first child came about. So Joshua, like it was when I was like, okay, I I have to figure this out and I have to do something differently because, um, you know, I, had basically planned through what I was going to do uh, when it came to suicide. And because my wife isn't somebody who understands depression or anxiety or anything else, it's not that she doesn't want to understand. She's just one of those people. She doesn't tell you to man up. She just doesn't get why somebody can't be happy. Like you can be depressed one day. Why do you have to have depression? So it was at that time when I was like, okay, I have to figure this out have to talk to people and then you know once really helping myself which i'm not saying i'm magically 100 percent better because none of us are it's a day-by-day thing but then it went into okay so i'm a little bit more solid i want to advocate for this and when i started doing the research <clears throat> you know the, the, the numbers were sickening whether you want to talk about just the numbers of boys and men, or if you want to break it down to college students, you know, um, we talked about it last time with you, Sean, we're at a time where our college students are entering college and they're the most medicated they've ever been specifically for mental health issues or concerns. And it's, it stems from that long time belief that we now know is wrong, that people were prescribing things just because it was a, they thought it was a chemical imbalance and that would fix it. And uh, so I I think that's where I took it with me. You know, once I got past that whole toxic masculinity viewpoint of big boys don't cry, you know, drink water, drive on. And I help myself like it it really helps you to dive down in in, and look at what's going on outside of your own bubble. What do you think, Sean?
2: Yeah, it's. uh... You know, it doesn't matter whether our parents um, told us it was okay to cry. Um, the, the analogy I use is how, how many times do you remember seeing your dad cry? Uh, or how many times can you remember seeing a, a, a male role model in your life unabashedly happy or joyful? Um, doesn't matter that they told you it was okay. They never showed you it was okay. Um, and so we we went into uh these mental health issues with the idea that it was a a a chemical imbalance in our brain uh and like you said it we just medicated it away and that was a we love simple solutions to complex problems um and the the myth of the the chemical imbalance as a reason for depression or anxiety makes a complex problem into a simple solution oh yeah you just take this ssri you know take your uh, take your uh, abilify and everything will be just fine and then we we realize that that's that's not exactly how it works it's not even remotely how it works and we have to start looking at our lives and the way we live them and society as a whole because we don't live in bubbles. Um, you know, we can't, we can't always just make wholesale changes so that we, we can be happier because we have to look at the way everything else operates and each system that interacts with each greater system. And we, we go from these micro levels to these macro levels with all these interactions and it becomes much much more complicated and we realized that we were not just maybe told the wrong thing uh, but we were shown the wrong thing and we were shown that the only things that were acceptable for men especially were anger aggression and sexual sexual excitement, which often morphed into sexual aggression. So when we're we're taught that those are the only acceptable emotions for for men to have, or shown that they're the only acceptable acceptable emotions, we literally create this, and I know it's an overused term, but we literally create toxic masculinity. And we create a, a sense of uh, loneliness, loneliness in boys, uh, because most boys, uh, adolescents, and men, when they hang out with their friends, they don't talk about deeper issues. It's sports, uh, the news, you know, politics. If you have friends who uh, you can talk politics with, uh, it's you know talking about your kids, but it's never talking about how you feel. Uh, and that's one of the benefits really one of the few benefits that women have over men right now is that they're sort of expected to be emotional uh they're ex- we expect them we hold it against them for sure but we expect it from them so women are are allowed to be a little more emotional uh, and that's not to say that women have life easier than than men because they don't right? um But at least in in that specific area, when we we squash all those emotions down and we only allow a couple of outlets for them, um, it's easy to forget how to be happy and how to live and how to remember who we are and how to be who we want to be. Because for a lot of us, who we want to be doesn't fit with the mold of what we thought we were supposed to be. Uh, and it's, like I said, it's a, it's a super complex issue and there's so much at play. Um, but it's, it's a lot of what's responsible for creating this, these generations of, of men who are emotionally repressed, lonely, uh, lacking in physical touch because we're, We're conditioned to believe that physical touch is always supposed to be sexual too. So, uh, I mean, until I became a little more aware and I'll say woke, um, I couldn't tell you the last time I had uh, a a hug from a a guy friend. Um, And it's still a pretty rare occurrence. You know, it just doesn't happen that often because... Men feel as though every kind of touch needs to be sexual. Um, And it's, we do ourselves a tremendous disservice and we're creating these, these generations of depressed and eventually suicidal men by doing so.
1: Yeah, I, I would say that, um, and this is maybe a bit off track, but speaking to your point of physical touch and it's something that trying to teach like my sons, how that's not a bad thing. Um, you know, it, like I still hug and kiss them. They're thir- 13 and 11. And I mean, they give me a kiss on the lips and they hug me. And I know, like I wrote an article, uh, I don't know, three, four years ago for Good Men Project where I said that i kiss my sons. And the amount of vitriol I got from that from people about how they said, how dare you do that to your kid? And I'm like, they're my sons. Like I'm hugging and kissing them They're I'm showing them that I love them. Uh, but there were people that were just, and weirdly, mostly women that were really vitriolic towards that. And it's interesting that even at a young age when, and my kids were younger then, they were you know, much younger at that point, but like the idea that they couldn't just come up and give their dad a hug and a kiss. Like that—that that was somehow sexualized. Was just—it was beyond me, you know. Now, you know, I grew up. My my father is uh, uh, a—he's <laughs> not a touchy feely guy with with his kids. He never has been with me or my brothers. But doesn't mean he didn't love us. It was just different. But for me, I'm very touchy feely in how I express my love. So like me giving my sons a big hug and a kiss on the lips. Even now, it's not a sexual thing. It's just me showing you, hey, guess what? I love you, and I'm going to show it this way. But, you know, if they ever came to say, dad, I don't really like that. I'm not comfortable doing that. Then that goes to consent. And that's something that we also need to teach our sons and all that sort of thing. And that goes a bit off tangent. But the idea is just that being able to physically touch your kids or, like you said, or another man and just be like, hey, man, give me a hug. I, I miss you. There's nothing wrong with that, but a lot of us have been taught from a young age that that is inherently wrong because you don't show affection that way unless you're trying to make a sexual conquest, and and that's just such a wrong way to view things. And I'm really hoping that like this next generation comes up and sees how wrong that is, and that it's not not the way you need to function. You can show affection, and it can be to anybody as long as you care about them.
0: Yeah, and I'll hop in because I love that you both mentioned that because uh, not to get too political, but I remember an article back when we were nearing the end of the last election where it said a certain voter base, you know, was yearning for a 1950s feel, right? So, and I got to talking to my parents about that because, you know, with, with what Sean said, with how... And again, it is overused and people use it different ways. But the whole toxic masculinity thing, you know, I I pointed it out while talking to my mom once. So when I look back at it for the majority of my life, kind of the same as you, Doug, like my dad wasn't very touchy feely or emotional, but I actually sat down with my siblings. And when we were talking to my mom, I said, it's almost like there was this um, this brainwashing of the past generations where like, It stopped at a certain point because I can remember being very, very young and, uh, you know, dad would get home from work. I'd sit on his lap, watch Star Trek The Next Generation. Anytime he'd take a sip from his coffee mug, I was taking a sip from whatever I had. And I can remember him hugging me and kissing me on the lips. Again, nothing sexual, just what a parent would do. But there's like this hard line age, maybe around like double digits where you go from nine to ten, where that stopped. And it didn't just stop for my brothers and myself. It stopped for all the kids. It was one of those, you know, you're no longer sitting on laps. You're no longer getting hugs or kisses like that was it. I I think at the most we would get a handshake, you know, and then in having discussions with him as I've grown up. You know, he had the same thing with his dad and it was very hard for him to come to terms with because he said, you know, I can't say that my dad was the greatest dad. This is him saying that. But then all of a sudden, as he aged and the ideas of what a real man should be changed, suddenly he was a fantastic grandfather to his grandchildren. And I said, we see that as well. So all the things that stopped with us. Because, oh, no, a a man shouldn't do that. And you should teach your boys to be men and blah, blah, blah. Like now that he has grandkids, it's completely different from how we were raised. And I know there's always the joke about, you know, I go to grandma and grandpa's and get away with everything. But we're not even talking about that behavior. It's the behavior of how your, you know, how your grandchildren are seeing you act as a man now. You know, they're seeing they're seeing a softer person in my dad than we were ever let to see. Um, and I think that's good. I think it's something that's going to carry forward through the generations. But I think that in the past, you know, the people that have had the opposite, whether it's the Jays or the Sean's or the Doug's, whoever's out there, we didn't get that, you know, we didn't get that, that I like to call it a privilege <laughs> of that change in that generation. So it's interesting to me because yeah, I, I do think that there is a connection between the two, um, Because, again, we didn't have social media back then. I'm sure there were suicides back then that weren't reported on. And I mean, I know there were some of my my family and back generations that were covered up. You know, people didn't talk about it, you know, and it was one of those. You don't have depression. You were just depressed that day. Um, So I think that with that self-awareness, you know, people can, you know, there's no longer this this negative way. It doesn't have to be this stigma that hangs over your head that, oh, you know, I'm diagnosed with depression or I'm diagnosed with anxiety or I'm bipolar. Uh, whereas back then it was, you know, it was, you, you would think that you were a leper. People wanted to put you away and, and not talk about it. So I, I'm interested to see how things pan out for my kids. Well, I will speak from the perspective
1: of, just my kids who are in their teens and one preteen and just the way they perceive things and how they just go, well, that's just some something somebody's dealing with and they need help. Like they don't see it as a negative. And, you know, in my generation, if somebody was in therapy or seen a psychologist or something like that, that was big news. That was, something was really wrong with that person. Like it was, you know, I grew up also super rural PA where like anything that wasn't (laughs) above the uh, as prescribed as normal was seen as scandalous. So maybe that's part of my perception. I don't know, but I think, but I think our younger generation and like our kids get the idea that if you need help and that the idea that mental health matters and the idea that, uh, well, maybe I'm seeing a therapist. I mean, we've had a couple of our kids see therapists and it really helped them and they don't feel any shame for it, which is really great. Whereas if I would have said I need to go see a therapist at their age, uh, they would have thought I was insane. I mean, literally insane. Like I need to be going to asylum. So I think we made progress in that respect, but I think we have a, 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 I think we still have a way to go yet to make it normalized where people perceive mental health as important as physical health.
2: I don't think there's any doubt that we have a, a long way to go. Um, and I you know, I can just point to my, my health insurance as as a, a part of that. Um, my deductible or my copay for going to the regular doctor is twenty dollars. My copay to go see my therapist or my psychiatrist is at least fifty and if i see them both on the same day they are going to decline one of to pay for one of the appointments uh, because they don't feel like i should need to see two mental health practitioners in the same day on the other hand if you go to your family doctor and they say hey i need you to go see an orthopedic surgeon and you see the orthopedist the same day as your family doctor they're not going to have an issue covering it um so yeah i mean that's and that's just one single example Uh, the the disparity between physical health and mental and emotional health uh, and how we view them is is tremendous and uh, how we live is a big part of it as well and this is something i'm waking up to more and more especially since i made uh, in the last year i've made these drastic drastic changes um, that I'm privileged enough to be able to make, um, is that we, at least for a long time, we, we raised our kids, um, or we were raised to get a job and become productive members of society. And so we grew up to get a job and we got a job to buy things. And we bought things because we felt like we were supposed to, and because we felt like, It was supposed to fill this void inside of us. And the truth is that we evolved as tribal creatures. Um, You know, we we went from solitary human beings uh, and evolved into hunter-gatherer-type tribes and, and so on and so on. And society has evolved beyond that point. But we certainly haven't, and we're lacking those, those deep, meaningful, authentic connections to our neighbors, to our family, to our, our friends, and things like that. And, you know, when, when we're not meeting our basest emotional needs, um, that's going to feed into our mental health problems as well. Uh, and I know people who, they buy things to try to fill the void, um, they won't really talk about it or admit to it because they still view mental health and mental illness as something other people deal with. It's fine for them, but it's not something I have or it, I no, I can handle my life. Um, and you can hear that, that, that judgment, uh, in it. And I, I know because I was that guy, uh, my brother was hospitalized, gosh, uh, in his late teens or early twenties for a short period of time for some major anxiety issues. And I was horrible to him about it. Um, well, he just can't handle it. You know, he, he grew up being a, a mama's boy and, uh, you know, he got his first taste of real life and he caved and, uh, I, I was awful, especially since I was dealing with my own terrible, terrible issues. Um, but because somehow I wasn't getting help for them and he needed help, he was somehow not as good as me. Um, and that's, I mean, again, I was in one of those rural white traditional communities as well. And it wasn't talked about, we had a, a teacher in, when I was in elementary school, die by suicide. Uh, And he was he was a friend of mine's dad. And the community was um, the whole community turned out for his funeral. And the whispers were how awful and how selfish and. And that's still an echo we hear today. I mean, even uh, as recently as, as Anthony Bourdain's suicide was. Uh, there's a lot less of it, but all you had to do was go to Twitter or heaven forbid you decided to go to the bowels of the internet and visit Reddit. Um, it was how selfish and awful and, you know, what a terrible person it must be to, to, to do that and, and flick that on their family. And I think we talked about it in our last podcast. There are people we'll reach and there are people we won't um, and if we focus our energy on the people we can reach and grow that number, eventually we'll crowd out the people we can't.
1: Yeah. I, that's something that when you're talking about, uh, Anthony Bourdain and also Kate Spade was another person because Kate Spade was wildly successful and just, she had her own demons and unfortunately took her own life. And, and, you know, I'm, I'm not one who is a fashionista for <laughs> obviously, but, with Bourdain, what, what I think that I really took from him, and although I was not a giant fan of his, what I really liked about him was his was his zest for going and, and exploring food as a means to connect with people, especially like his whole thing was like, here's the common food of this this culture. Here's how I can use that to connect to people. And you go and you say, man, that's, that's really how I want to live. And that guy talked multiple times and over and over again about his struggles with depression and suicidal thoughts. And, you know, you thought yeah, I, I thought that, okay, well maybe he has a handle on it now. He's got help. He's got family. He's got a daughter. So you wanna think as someone outside of the outside of having depression, just going, well he has all these things going for him. Why is that not a why why would he do that? You know, and I admit to initially going, well, that sucks. Like, why did he do that? But again, I'm not him. I don't have his experience. I don't have what he's going through. I don't don't know what drove him to the point where he just thought the only way out and the only logical thing to do would just end his life. So, you know, somebody like that to me. And, and like Jay said, there's there's thousands of people who commit suicide every day. And we don't talk about them because they're not famous. And, you know, the with people who are famous, you can go, well, at least they're shedding light on something that is a bigger issue. So how do you guys address the idea that there are folks who commit suicide who are famous? And do you think that is good for the discussion? Or do you think that that is detrimental to it?
0: Uh if you don't mind, I'm going to step in this one real quick, Sean. <laughs> yeah, by all means, it's your your show, man. <laughs> um so, and specifically with what you just kind of dove into there, Doug. So, it, we talked about it last time, and I like to equate it to other things in life that we come across that there's still this this idea or misunderstanding that leads to victim shaming so to speak um and what i mean by that and again we see it on every level but because the celebrities are so front and center you tend to hear it more when people are discussing uh their passing and what i mean by that is again you look at anthony bourdain and people say well you know he was a best-selling author and he got to travel the world and eat whatever he wanted and have expensive cars and blah, blah, blah. And then you look at the Chester Bennington's with well, 36 hours prior, there's a video of him and he was so happy and he's rich and his band has been going for 20 years. Same thing with Robin Williams. We heard, you know, Um, and, and that leads to the normal people because you'll hear it you'll hear it everywhere. Whether you hear of a friend passing or an acquaintance or somebody's third cousin removed, there is always somebody who is going to bring up that, well, you know, he had three kids or she had three kids and, and I could never do that with having three kids. Okay. That's maybe true. You may never be able to do that. But then again, Those are the people who don't understand what's going on, what gears are grinding inside my head, you know, because by the time I made my last attempt and I planned it out and I wrote the letter to my wife, guess what? I had three kids and I loved my three kids beyond words, but there are other factors and forces at play and voices in my head that while you think well, not you specifically, but while the person on the outside looking in at me thinks that I'm, you know, not taking into account the fact that I have a wife and a family and three kids and a dog, like in my mind, everything's better for them without me. And I'm not saying that's the case for Bourdain or or for Bennington or for anybody else. We, we can't know because they're not here anymore. Um, but I think people need to take a step back because we've seen it across tons of other instances of life, you know, for the longest time, people would victim victim, shame women who were sexually assaulted or raped. You know, she wore a skirt that was too short out to the club. If she had just been more modest, you know, it wouldn't have given that poor boy bad thoughts. And and the same thing here, we're, we're trying to, Say, because we don't understand something, be it depression, anxiety, bipolar, binge eating, whatever it is you don't understand, you're trying to come up with another reason for, you know, why it happened. And it tends to shame the person who's no longer here to the, to defend themselves, which in turn causes more pain, because depending on who's left, whether it's a wife, a spouse, a husband, the kids you know, they're left to address that. So again, if you're going into a funeral and you hear the whispers, you know, they don't need to hear that at that point. Um, I, I just think it goes back to what Sean said. We got a long way to go. You know, we've made strides, things are getting better, but there's a lot of misunderstanding. And I know in the last conversation we had, that, that was one of the things we pointed out where I said, you know, if you have the time, if you're if you're generally interested in learning things, find a local organization, find a national one, whatever you need. If you don't want to talk to somebody in person, we can direct you to organizations online, but educate yourself on it. Because, again, it's not just a chemical imbalance anymore. It's not somebody being selfish. It's not somebody who's being overwhelmed because they can't make their mortgage payment. Because again, these are people it's happening to the rich, the poor, everybody in between. I just think there needs to be better education, um, to get us out of that, that rut we're in of just automatically resorting to the worst case scenario for it. Go ahead, Sean.
2: I, I definitely agree. I mean, with me, it was, um, you know, there were there were two things going on, uh, at, at least two, but the, the two loudest voices were, I'm, I'm tired of this pain all the time. Uh, I'm, I'm tired of, of using the only hope that I have left in my entire life to hope that I don't wake up in the morning. Um, and, and that's the way it was. Every night I went to bed hoping that I just didn't wake up in the morning And the other part was the absolute belief that everyone in my life would be better off if I just wasn't there, uh, that, yeah, maybe it would hurt for a little while, but they would see how much of an anchor I was to them. And eventually everyone would just be better without me, uh, without a a Sean, um, and it wasn't it wasn't a, a vanity kind of thing. It, it was an absolute belief, as much as, as some people believe in Judaism or Christianity or or uh, any one of the other thousand religions that there are. That, that was how strong my be- that belief was for me. Uh, so yeah, I, the more people we can reach and the more people stand up and tell their stories, the more likely we are to, to start to overcome that, that, um, that, um, pervasive view that it's always selfish. Um, but I, I wanted to, um, and this is something I don't often do, but I, I wanted to blow my own horn a little bit for a second. Um. I had turned in as part of our, this is my brave thing. um, We were required to turn in our speech. um, Gosh, before our, our last audition, which was a month before the show. Um, and we were allowed to make small edits, but in general it was supposed to be the exact same thing so that there were no surprises. Uh, and (laughs) my, our show was the the Sunday after we lost both Kate Spade and, and Anthony Bourdain. Uh, and I felt very strongly that I needed to address that. Um, because of what Doug talked about the celebrity suicides always garner so much attention. Um, and my exact words, uh, if you guys don't mind, uh, I I'd like to just read the, the few words that I actually added to my piece. Um, and it was, you know, this past week now, a few weeks ago, we lost Kate Spade and Anthony Bourdain. Celebrity suicides always garner so much press and awareness, and that's great. But our news cycle moves so fast that it all blows over and we soon forget. Here's what you should never forget. We are all celebrities to someone, kids, parents, brothers, sisters, friends, and admirers. We lose thousands of these celebrities with not so much as a headline, trending news post, or hashtag. We have got to remember the celebrities in our lives, even the ones who appear the strongest and reach out to them. Ultimately, that's what saved my life." Uh, and, I mean, it's debatable what what part of my piece had the most impact for me or the, the people in the audience, but. That piece that I added really actually hit home for me. Uh, because one of the things that my depression did was made me feel small and insignificant and alone. Um, and I know that that's a similarity that runs through a, a lot of people who, who suffer similarly, uh, is you, you just feel isolated and alone and it causes you to isolate even more and I had never really thought of myself as a celebrity to, to someone. Uh, and, and I didn't until I spoke those words standing in front of all those people and I thought, oh my gosh, I'm such a hypocrite. Um, but then I started to believe it and I, I started to think about the people that I've reached either through writing or through just a kind word. Uh, and how we can all have that impact on someone. Um, so, yeah, Doug, I mean, the celebrity suicides, the attention they garner is fantastic, um, but it, it blows over quickly. I mean, even Anthony Bourdain is out of the news already, and he was huge. Um, it is important to remember that uh, thousands of um, of people are gone, uh, without so much as a a, a, a gasp or, or a pause that, um, hits our social media streams or, um, local news. And that's, that's really what we, we're, we want to try to try to look at, uh, and, and try to overcome is it, it shouldn't just be big news when the Kate Spades and Avicis and Chester Bennington's go. It should be big news when you know, Uncle Bob, who was a, a, a Navy SEAL and a, uh, you know, a construction worker for, for 30 years uh, goes, it's everyone, everyone is a celebrity to someone. Uh, and that's, that's what to me, that's what's important to remember.
0: <clears throat> so, you know, back to one, recognizing everybody and two having a responsibility and how we discuss it and how we go about understanding it is huge. Um, I saw an interview and I, I, I bring up Chester Bennington a lot because musically that was one of my idols, the whole band in general. But so his, uh, his bandmate did an interview recently because Chester's wife has really kind of gone into the background. She's involved with a new organization that that provides awareness and support, but she's really not in that spotlight. Um, it, and Mike actually brought up, you know, because how things are reported. So being a spouse or a family member, it's already hard when you're coming up on the anniversary of, of your spouse's death. And, uh, you know, I guess she had a phone call with him where they jokingly talked about the fact that wherever she lives, there was like a flight to Australia and with the time zone, she could skip the the day. She could skip the anniversary of his passing. And a lot of fans reached out because she does have a Twitter. And we said, you know, it's one thing if you need to do that for your own mental health or if you need a day off. But don't, don't fall into that trap of, of providing a disservice of not talking about it anymore. Just because other people aren't being responsible with it. So I, I think it goes back to what Sean said. We need to keep having these conversations. And, yeah, some of them are going to be uncomfortable. But if we don't have them and we just wait for the new news cycle to happen every time and then it falls in the background, we're never going to make that progress there. And I'm going to pick on you for a second, Doug, if you don't mind. And, and Sean, Please you do. can butt in as Please, John, you can butt in because I know a lot of people have different opinions on this. But Doug, you, you made the mistake that I made. I have been trying for years to break my habit. And it is a pre-programmed habit that we grow up with and the way things are reported. So technically, you don't want to say committed suicide anymore if you didn't know that. So you can say like died by suicide or passed away or things of that nature because if you think about it so when the family members are reading about it or when you're talking to somebody if you really think and i know you're a wordsmith doug so that's why i'm bringing it up to you the verb itself commit everything you generally hear it with you know you commit burglary or murder or rape or perjury or adultery it's always something bad um and outside of religion i mean religion tends to view suicide Badly And consider it a sin. But outside of that, you know, if you're dying by suicide, you're not committing a crime. It's a product of mental illness or stress or trauma or whatever brought you there. So I, I think that goes back. And this is my personal opinion. And there are responsible reporting guidelines out there. But, you know, it goes back to how it's treated in the media, because you constantly see that, you know, Anthony Bourdain committed suicide, Chester Bennington committed suicide, Kate Spade committed suicide. I, I think there are better ways for us to discuss it. Um, and I think that's, that's something that that's going to come in the future. I don't know. What are your thoughts on that, Sean?
2: Uh, well, first, Doug, what the hell is wrong with you? I heard it, too, but I wasn't going to call it out <laughs> on the air. Um, <laughs> <laughs> you, can, you can blame that off a few drinks. Um, no, it's, it's absolutely right. Well, um, I'll blame uh, it on a few It's a good drinks. learning
0: experience.
2: I, I've, unless I catch it um, in a in a news post, uh, I try to be pretty nice about about it with people. Hey, look, you're you're essentially criminalizing the act, and it makes it that much more like less likely for people to talk about it. So please don't say committed suicide. Please say died by suicide um, or ended his own or her own life. Uh, just in the same way that we don't want to talk about successful attempts because that we're making a positive uh, we're making a, a suicide positive. Oh yeah, they were successful. Um, so it's uh, you know, language is, is tricky and the more i delve into the the mental health arena and the more research i read and the more i learn uh and the more i experience the more i realize that every word matters uh and y- you know i i don't know about you guys but when, when i was growing up i constantly heard think before you speak think before you speak think before you speak um and now I tend to slow my speech down a great deal because I do think carefully about every word because even the way I talk to myself, the words have power. Um, I've, I've taken to, I, I, I don't talk about uh, in myself, my internal voice or to others. I don't talk about mental health and mental illness uh, with aggressive words like war and battle. Uh, very often uh, because aggression is exhausting Uh, and you know when you think about it in in war there are no real winners there are mass casualties on both sides sure one side outlasts the other uh, sometimes um, but aggression is exhausting and mental illness is exhausting enough without adding that aggression um So I, have tried to change my language and, and it has honestly, I started to turn the corner when I started to change my internal language and the way I talk to myself. Um, I stopped saying that I struggled with it so often. Um, it was just something that I dealt with and I coped and I redirected my energy or I, I changed the language and I, and by doing so I changed how I felt. So, you know, one of the things when I point out please, to people to, to please stop saying committed suicide, well, it's just, it's one word. I I hate this PC crap um, is often the, the response. But words, even a single word in a single sentence can have tremendous power. Uh, and that's, you know, that's why in the past, not so much now, but in the past, writers were Uh, wordsmiths and and writers were held in such high regard was because we recognized how much power words had. And and now uh, words are everywhere. And and we've sort of, in a lot of cases, our subconscious recognizes that power, uh, but our conscious mind just uh, has become numb to it, desensitized to it, if you will, um, and so i think that we we kind of need a, a a reawakening to how much how much power we wield when we speak uh, whether it's to our kids or to our spouses or to our friends or to a group of people staring at us while we stand uncomfortably on stage under those hot lights every word has power
1: yeah and i i misspoke there and I deserve your fucking blasting for real. So, uh,
2: <laughs> and, and the thing happy is that, fucking Father's Day.
1: And, and it's one of those things where I go, you know what? When I said that, I wasn't even paying attention to it because it's just part of the vernacular. And, uh, especially, like I said, I, I'm going to go generational on it and just say that in my age, like, well, they committed suicide. And, you know, it's not that I think it was a weak way out, I don't. I think people struggle mightily with things, and a lot of it is we don't understand what they are struggling through and how they get to a point where they can not be in that frame of mind. And I don't mean to be dismissive or, or talk less of folks who really are struggling with that. And really it is. If somebody commits suicide, and I'm going to say that right now, but I'm going to change it because it's not a commission. It's something where they die by suicide. They actually can't handle what is going on. And you know what? That is something that is really difficult for them to do. But they're just at a point where they don't believe that their lives matter. Regardless of how successful or how many people love them or how many people don't love them? Literally, that doesn't matter. In their mind, they are choosing the best option. And I think going forward, we need to understand that, like, to them, that's the best option. But we need to find a way to communicate with those folks to see that that isn't the best option. And we can help them. And, you know, that's where we kind of circle back to the idea where I said, well, how do we go and say, well, just reach out to me? Well, that doesn't always work. There are people that that says, well, you're reaching out to me, but that doesn't really fulfill where I am. That doesn't reach me. That doesn't make me want to stop where I am. So it it again comes back to how do we help people that need the help?
2: So what we're doing here in our little tiny corner of the world in Center County um, is we work with media partners uh, like radio stations and newspapers and TV stations um, to put out PSAs and things like that. But we also fight hard to get into schools to talk about it um, because we're, we're taking the long view. And, and I say we, I, I joined this bandwagon late as far as this county goes. Um, most of the work had been done by a, a select few people, uh, but we take the long view uh, that we're not gonna, a lot of the people in you know, our generation, uh, guys um, are already set in their ways and, and less likely to, to listen. But if we can get into the schools, and we can talk to people and let them know that it's okay to be, to be not okay and it's, uh, it's not weakness to be vulnerable um, then on, on a longitudinal and a, on a long-term scale we're going to make improvements um, in the short term it's a lot harder because you do have people that, gosh, you know, I, I think about, um, rural communities like where I'm from and, and where I live right now. Um, they are super hard to reach because their views are still very, very traditional and regressive. Uh, so mental illness to a lot of those folks is still something to, to keep hidden away because it's shameful. It's a, its weakness um whereas to the younger generations they're they're much more exposed to it and they've seen more of it because it's been on tv and in the media and their viewpoints are still still malleable um and and we're able to to reach them a little bit a little bit more easily uh and I, gosh, it, it sounds awful, but it's also more cost effective when you're dealing with a, a finite number of dollars that you have for for outreach and, and action. Um, and you have to decide, all right, what am I gonna do? You know, I have X dollars uh, and to do everything would take a thousand times X dollars so I need to figure out where I'm going to have the most impact, uh, and right now the most impact is with our young people uh, because they're listening. You know, not all of them, but uh, certainly more of them than than are going to listen who are in their fifties or sixties. I, I think. Now, I, I don't, I don't, I don't know. Jay, your thoughts?
0: No, I, I think we are, and I think you're correct. So it's that we're at that, that struggle point. And I think we've mentioned that a few times in this episode and and prior. So, you know, we're getting more resources, we're getting uh, more materials out there and people are becoming more understanding, but where you're seeing that isn't necessarily always where it's needed. Um, And that leads to some people, you know, Kind of I don't want to say giving up. They still they still put forth the effort and the good fight, but like some some areas are just getting left behind. And we, and we see that outside of, you know, mental health and mental illness. We see that with everything from, you know, early childhood development to family support. And I think that goes back to, you know, what you mentioned earlier. So I work in healthcare and it goes beyond the co-pays and the deductibles. It goes down to how it's run as a business and there's some people who hate to admit that, but, but healthcare is a huge business. And, and until we, the people figure out a way to reorganize or restructure that, like it's always going to be a business, but until we find a way to make it serve us better, you're going to keep coming into these problematic areas of, you know, I have limited resources. I can reach, 10,000 people here with the resources I've already been given, or I can reach a hundred people out in, you know, Xville with the resources I'm given, which, where am I, where am I best stationed and where am I needed? And I think a lot of people are running into that. So, you know, I, I, I don't think there is, an end all be all answer at this point, you know, back to Doug's question, how do those advocates or how do those allies or potential allies better help or better listen? Um, it's, it's, it's a hard one to answer at this point again. So like I said, we, Sean and I, people like us, we can give you all the resources we know, but again, that it may not be a one size fits all. It may not be what you're looking for. You know, maybe it doesn't fit your form of advocacy, at which point I just have to say kind of like how we are self-aware and we take responsibility for our mental health. Well, then you're going to have to take responsibility for whatever level you want to be active in it, Um, whether that is reaching out to somebody, getting them out of their house you know, hanging out with somebody, or whether that means going to an event like "This Is My Brave" and and supporting people who are talking about it, or donating. Everybody's going to have a different level, uh, a level of participation. And beyond that, like I said, until we can really dig into the bigger problems that we're seeing, um, be, with 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 how we handle this you know, county-wise, state-wise, federally. Um, that, that's really the best you can do there. Yeah, I'm not sure we can uh, go
1: more than that on that topic. But yeah, I i get that there is a, a lot of work to do. And, and it's a lot of work to do in a lot of realms, and especially this, because mental health is such a really huge issue. And it affects more people than I think many realize. And that's something that we need to cope with. And we need to kind of reach and reaching folks who don't believe it's a problem. You know, I, I think that's a, well, that's, that's a big road to hoe, but it is something we need to do. And uh, I think Sean going by to this is my brave is a way to do that. I think us talking to our family members and having them understand just the way mental health works, especially those who might not think that mental health is a big issue or those who are a little bit older and who think that, well, you just tough it out and it'll be fine. And, you know, it, they have to understand that that might not be the way things work. And, you know, it is a big issue. And, you I think our next generation is really going to bring that to the fore even more than we are. And I'm looking forward to them doing that.
2: I am certainly, I, you know, I am constantly in awe of the, the next generation coming up and, and how they're tackling issues that that affect them from racism to sexism to gun control to mental health. <laughs> I look back to where I was as a person at 18 years old, and I see where some of these, I want to say kids, but they're not. They're acting more like an adult at 18 than some adults I know at 40 or 50. Um, And in a sense, I'm sad that they have to, um, that that responsibility has been thrust upon them. But in another sense... I'm ready to, to fight by their side or, or stand behind them and, and hand them the reins because, wow, um, it's, it's just incredible. I, I, I don't know. I don't know what else to say. It's, it's just a, yeah.
1: Well, you look at the folks that are, uh, from like the school in Florida that had, uh, the, the guy who came up with the assault rifle and killed 17 students there. And those kids are 16 and 17 and 18. And they're just like, no, we're not standing the person anymore. And like, like you said, Sean, like at 18, I, I was worried about what, well, where am I going to get my next beer? Where am I going to do, you know, whatever. And I'm going to do some sort of thing that's irresponsible. And these kids don't see it that way. They just see everything in, in a way that we don't, that just, it, it really makes me optimistic. And and that's a hard thing to be with our current administration and with all the things that are going on and with, you know, I don't know. I, I just, I want to believe that, you know, to borrow Whitney Houston's phrase, the children are our future. I'm not going to sing it because I can't sing worth a damn, but it is important to see that they have a voice and it's a really valid one and we should be able to step outside and step away and let them kind of take over because they're going to save us.
2: Uh, Well, they need to because we're certainly not doing it ourselves.
1: That's for damn
2: sure. So,
1: Jay, you have any thoughts? Because we're running on 120 minutes now. Or an hour and 20 minutes, excuse me. So it's like really long and it's been a great conversation and so um, i'm happy to have it i just wonder if we should maybe wrap this up a bit
0: yeah i I think we're gonna lead into the wrap up and in my thoughts the first thing i thought before you even said it or exactly what along the lines of what you went with you know where we have some really fantastic advocates within our age groups and uh but what we're seeing is sort of like instead of waiting for the rains to be passed, these kids slash young adults are finally just saying, no, you know, we've had enough. We're going to run with it. And if the adults who want to advocate and who want to support us come along, that's great. Anybody else? Well, you're going to get steamrolled. And <laughs> I think that, you know, and this is another word that gets used too much, but if that's the resistance we need, um, to make that forward progress, then like Shunson, I'm, I'm going to fight alongside him. I'm going to amplify the message. I'm going to support it. And, um, uh, you know, it, it, not to beat a dead horse. And, and again, so I want to clarify, one, not only for your feelings, but for listeners. Again, I, I'm not picking a fight with anybody who has – committed suicide in their vernacular. So I think I brought it up when I pointed it out and Sean can attest to this again. So if you look there, there's multiple resources for responsible reporting, but guess what? Because this is so ingrained into our culture and our society, and that's not just here in the U S that's worldwide. It, it, it was the standard that we grew up with, you know? Um, and, and I think that it's our responsibility. I mean, hell, I I know I slipped up on the last show I said it once, uh, and that's why it was in my head this time. And then you said it, and I was like, ah, shit, we didn't make it all the way through. So it, it's easier for me to say, you know, okay, I understand. We grew up with this. We might slip up and say it. But but here's how, here's how we could better word it. Here's how we can better write about it. And I don't want anybody listening to take away that, you know, oh, they're picking on me. I'm not going to listen anymore. I've said that term for years. Hey, I get it. We've all heard that term for years. Uh, but again, you know, you have to look outside of your personal space and your bubble. How, how is the way you're discussing these things having an effect on, you know, the families and the friends and the acquaintances? How, how can we change that dialogue? Because we're, we can put up, you know, resources until we're, we're blue in the face and we can shout it to the world. But until we come to some agreement, which like you said, we're we're seeing this younger generation push out these ideas and these ideals until we can get on that page in uh, better work towards that, we're not going to see it take off on any huge level. And, and that's where I'll leave it for the end of the show.
1: I think it's a good place to leave it. Sean, you have anything to wrap up with?
2: Um, I'm just going to close with the uh, phone number for the National Suicide Prevention Lifeline. Um, They're trained crisis counselors who go through hundreds of hours of training. um, And the number is 800-273-8255. And there is also a text line that I can't seem to find right now uh, and a chat. Um, so you can go right to suicidepreventionlifeline.org, and they actually have, uh, a live chat, uh, with someone who, who's willing to talk as well. Uh, so there is always someone who is there to listen if you need.
1: I think that's an excellent way to end it there, man. What about you, Jay?
0: I'm going to piggyback just to get a little more specialized than that. So if you've never heard of the Trevor Project, uh, I'd love for people to check that out. They specialize in providing crisis intervention and suicide prevention for LGBTQ youth. And you can find them at the Trevor And they have their own number as well. with 24 seven support. It's eight, six, six, four, eight, eight, seven, three, eight, six. So if you want something that's a little more personalized and you're within that group, Um, And you don't want to go to the national level. Or if you just want to learn more about them, I highly recommend people check it out. And the one last thing I was going to leave with, if you haven't been on our Facebook page lately, go ahead and run over there because I did share Sean's video from This Is My Brave, and that is up. And I would love if everybody could watch that and share it. Yeah, that is a a really powerful speech. And Sean, you deserve a
1: lot of kudos for going up there and just... Bearing your soul because um, I think we all know how that feels and just being able to stand in front of a bunch of people and most of which you don't know and just being able to tell your story in a very personal way is is really powerful so I can I am with Jay on that just go and look at it people just listen to it watch it and just share it if you can because it's, it's an important story thank you thank you guys very very much and uh, thank you, Sean, for joining us. And uh, it's been a parental dad advisory podcast. So, everybody, have a good one. As Jay would normally say, I'm borrowing that from him.
0: <laughs> have a good one, everyone. You've been listening to the parental dad advisory podcast. If you haven't done it already, be sure and subscribe so you don't miss an episode. Want to get social with Doug and Jay? Check out ParentalDadvisory.com for direct links to everywhere they are online, including Facebook, Instagram, Twitter, and YouTube. One last thing, if you enjoyed the Parental Dad Advisory podcast, give it a positive review and tell all your f***ing friends about it.